You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. To believe that people I love, people in my family that don't receive Christ as Lord and Savior, when they die and they will go to hell, and then one day they'll stand before the great white throne and be cast in into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Try to wrap your mind around that. I can't totally do it, but that's what the Bible says, and that's what I'm warning people. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to go to hell, and you don't have to experience the lake of fire. Please don't go there. Please don't. That's why Jesus died. That's why he was buried. That's why he rose again. And if you'll receive him as Lord and Savior, you won't have to be damned. You can be saved. You may know Jesus today as you tune in to Pastor Danny's message. You may have already been redeemed by the blood that Christ shed on the cross. And if so, that's incredible news. And I'm excited for the life that you get to live with Jesus. Now go and tell your family and friends about the incredible Savior you have. They deserve to have freedom in him too. And today, if you don't know about this, then listen closely. Pastor Danny has some incredible news to share about how your life can be transformed. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4 with today's edition of The Living Word. You can't go back and change the past. You just get forgiveness and you move on. And you don't carry the guilt and you don't carry the shame. Praise the Lord, we don't have to. But I didn't know. But I know now. And that's why I'm going to stand for truth. In any, you know of a young lady that's thinking about abortion? At least try to get them to go down to Solution for Life. Go down to a local pregnancy center and at least sit down and talk to somebody before they go through with it. And we live in a country. Abortion on demand. What crazy laws we have that a young girl can go and get an abortion free and, and yet no parents involved. I mean, we, we've turned things so upside down. Oh, God help us. God help us. God forgive us. God forgive our country. God help us. But listen, listen though. We are not to be arrogant. We are not to be arrogant. We are not to be self-righteous. Listen, by the grace of God, we're saved. All of us. All of us. We're not for the grace of God. Listen, we're all in trouble. So we're not to be arrogant or self-righteous. But if we don't stand for truth, we give them no hope. We give them no hope. Well, let me, let me ask you this one. How do you believe you should discipline your children, especially when they're young? Listen to what the Lord says. This, here's the word. Timothy, you preach the word. Danny, you preach the word. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs twenty-three thirteen: Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. He'll just sound like he's going to die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Proverbs twenty-nine fifteen: The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. 
And you can go to the mall. You can go out in public. Go through our children's ministry. Now, I understand, again, what we're talking about here. I understand what's happening in our world. I understand the, the violence and the domestic problems. And I understand there, there are parents that are, that are beating their children. I understand that. That's absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. They ought to be locked up. But biblical discipline with a loving rod is what God says. And yet I've had people sit across my desk and sit across and say, I'll read those verses and other verses like them, and they'll say, well, we just don't believe in spanking. Well, God help you. Because you think you're going to control that kid with time out? Come on. What a cruel thing to do to a kid. You just go over there and stand in the corner. Or you tell them 15 times, stop, stop, stop. You stop it right now. Or all you're doing is training that kid to disobey. And when that kid goes out and run out in front of US 19 in front of the car, and you got to say 15 times, that kid's gone. God's trying to help us. But we live in a culture, even among the church, and you talk about spanking. By the way, in our, through our parenting ministry, we have, we have custom-made rods. They are the best correction tools we, I have ever seen. They give more pain with less after effects. And you can get one for a small donation. Actually, you know, you got to get several because they, they mysteriously end up disappearing in the house. We just need to come back as parents lovingly, lovingly disciplining our children, especially when they're younger. You know, they get to a certain age. My kids are out of the spanking age. Hallelujah. Now I just punch them. No, that, was, that was bad. That was a joke. For all you visitors, that was a joke. Okay, test is still going. Let me ask you this. What do you believe about roles of a husband and a wife in a marriage relationship? Oh, we believe in equality. Well, so does God as far as being humans. And yet, here's what God says, Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And it also says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing. But you see, there are roles. God gives the man the greater authority. Why? Because he has the greater responsibility. Authority and biblical authority is always for two overall purposes, protection and provision. Protection and provision. But you talk about this in the world and some places in the church, and, and they think you're, you're, you know, you're talking about husbands bossing their wives around. But we must understand, while that's not what God is saying, nevertheless, there is different roles. And the buck does stop with the husband according to the word of God. But he's not having that authority to lord it over his wife and his family. He's to lead them, protect them. Be the example to them. And yet he has a responsibility, he has authority. That's what the Bible says. Let me ask you this one. What do you believe about alcoholism? You see, there are people, fellow Christians, that we disagree on this one, and I don't know how they can support, I don't know how they can support what they believe. They believe that alcoholism is a disease. And that's what AA teaches you. Now, look. I appreciate the people in our church that are still involved in AA as evangelists, uh, and yet we have, there are some people that 
still buy into the thing that AA teaches, that it's a disease. Guy, been in our church for years, came up to me after the service last night, and he was pretty hot. And he said, I love you as a brother, but... He said, we do, I disagree with you on the alcoholism thing. And I said, well, give me a scripture. He couldn't give me a scripture. You see, God had the answer for the alcoholic before AA. And if he didn't, how can we say that? You mean God didn't have the answer for the alcoholic before AA? Then the word of God is not sufficient. Let me read you Galatians 5.19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual impure, immoral, immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, uh, hatred, discord, jealousy, etc., etc., envy, drunkenness. God has always had the answer for the alcoholic. Now, if you're in AA and it's gotten you sober and, and, and helping keep you sober, I'm not against that. However, however, I believe uh, that if you're a Christian, there ought to come a time when you're less dependent on AA and more dependent on the family of God, and you transition from AA into the family of God, and through relationship in the family of God and relationship with Jesus Christ, you are set free and then you stay free. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, the thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. You were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God says, listen, you're not an alcoholic anymore. If you've received Christ, you're not an alcoholic. That doesn't mean you may not struggle with it, but your victory, your victory is the same as the homosexual who's committed his life to Christ or her life to Christ. Your victory is the same as the person that was consumed with lust as a heterosexual. It's the same answer. It's Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Word of God, it's the fellowship of believers, and it's being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And the more we are, the more free we become. Because listen, if alcoholism is a disease, here's one of two things you got. One is you have no hope, because you, you got the disease and, and we don't have a cure for it. All right? Or if it's a disease, some people say, well, I can't help it. It's a disease. That's a cop-out. That's an excuse. What do you believe? What do you believe about modern psychology and how that fits with the Word of God? I uh, start a class next Sunday morning for our leadership here, and, and eventually, probably in the fall, I'm not totally sure, but we'll offer it to the whole body. Anybody can take it on biblical counseling. And so I've been preparing a little bit for it, and I've been doing some extra reading. And as a uh, one book I've, I went through a second time now, but this one I just got. I, I really appreciate John MacArthur and the staff of uh, some of the staff of uh, Masters College, uh, which uh, was founded by John MacArthur. And it's called uh, Counseling, How to Counsel Biblically. Let me just read you one little section because I think it's absolutely right on. Now, I understand there's some people here, you're psychologists or you're, you're getting your degree in psychology and whatever. Please, just, just, just hear it out. Christian psychology, as the term is used today, is an oxymoron. The word psychology employed in that expression no longer speaks of studying the soul. Instead, it describes a, diver a diverse menagerie of therapies and theories that are fundamentally humanistic. Presuppositions in most of the doctrine of psychology cannot be successfully integrated with Christian truth. Moreover, the infusion of psychology into the teaching of the church has blurred the line between behavior modification 
and sanctification. The path to wholeness is the path of spiritual sanctification. Would we foolishly turn our backs on the wonderful counselor, the spring of living, living water for the sensual wisdom of earth and the stagnant water of behaviorism? Our Lord Jesus reacted in a perfect and holy way to every temptation, trial, and trauma in life, and they were more severe than any human could ever suffer. Therefore, it should be clear that perfect victory over all life's troubles must be the result of being like Christ. No soul worker can lift another above the level of spiritual maturity he is on. So the supreme qualification for all soul work is Christ-likeness. I say amen to that. Bob Hoekster went home to be with the Lord just a few months ago, and I got to, get, I got to know him doing ministry in Russia. And um, uh, his ministry, especially in regard to biblical counseling, was just tremendous. And one of the books he wrote is How to Counsel God's Way. As he goes through the book, he also mentions cliches that people use, and he deals biblically with answering those cliches. One of them is here. People's problems are rooted deep in their past. Therefore, we must extensively examine each person's past if we're to discover solutions for the present. In psychoanalytical counseling, the person seeking help is directed inward and backward on the assumption that people's lives can be explained by the sum total of their experiences from birth to the present. Such speculation cannot be proven concerning humanity in general. Furthermore, it is certainly not applicable to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The evaluation and explanation of our lives, as well as the resources for needed change, are all found in our relationship to Christ, who he is, what he has done, what he offers to us, what he can do in and through us is where we find our insight and hope and life itself. In many ways, attempting to help Christians by digging into their past is like trying to find life by digging in a graveyard. That's profound. Here he says, the biggest umbrella cliche I know of, but we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. The baby in the cliche represents some assumed and necessary good within the theories of man. The bathwater symbolizes something unhealthy or unhelpful uh, within those theories. The cliche seems to offer a way for Christians to acknowledge that there are harmful elements in psychological speculations, while at the same time inferring that we will lose important counseling resources if we set all of this human wisdom aside. This cliche on the baby in the bathwater reflects popular thinking concerning the role of psychology in so-called Christian counseling. Perhaps we can commend the desire to lose nothing that would be of true spiritual value in ministering to people. However, as with every other umbrella cliche that we will consider, this one does not stand up in the light of God's word. Listen carefully. The fallacy in this platitude can be uncovered in this manner. For the sake of argument, let us grant that there may be a baby sitting in the dirty bathwater of psychological theory. What if we throw out the whole system of psychological speculations and our approach to the ministry of counseling? Have we lost the baby? Not at all. Because even if we tossed out the baby with the bathwater, that baby can still be found in the Word of God. Consequently, if there's anything in man's theorizing that appears clean and true, or seems helpful and needful, it will already be contained in the Word. Furthermore, the Scriptures have no unclean water that we have to filter out and set aside since God's Word is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. Amen. Now, those of you I just offended by that, okay? In the same way that AA is a fairly new thing, 
And if you believe that God didn't have the answer for the alcoholic before AA, you're saying the word of God is not sufficient. In that same way, if you say that Christian counseling to throw it all out and just go with the word of God and the spirit of God and, and what he says here, what you're saying is that we didn't have the answer until psychology came along. And there wasn't such a thing as Christian psychology until there was first human psychology. And that's just in our fairly recent past. And God says, look, I had the answer for your life. As a matter of fact, I got every answer for your life. Second Peter chapter 1. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. And he's given us his wonderful, precious promises that through them we can escape the corruption in the world. That's what the Bible says. God has the answer, always has had the answer. Well, I'll give you one more. What do you believe about hell? You know, there are churches today that say, well, you know, we don't believe in a literal hell anymore. Well, what do you base that on? Because Jesus believed in a literal hell. You know, Jesus, there's more recorded in this book, the New Testament, Jesus talking about hell than he talked about heaven. He talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Probably because he wanted to warn people. Because he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. The Bible says that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to be saved. And yet there is a literal hell. And the Bible says hell was created for the devil and his angels. And yet, if we reject the grace of God through Jesus Christ, that's where we'll end up. And Jesus described it. He said, it's a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He told a story, not a parable, in Luke chapter 16 about a rich man who died and he woke up in hell. Another man, a beggar, that it was laid at his gate daily, but the rich man didn't pay any attention to him. And, and Lazarus, the beggar, he died, but he died in faith. And he woke up in a place called Abraham's bosom. That was the place all believers went before Jesus shed his blood on the cross. It was a place of comfort. But both down, both in Sheol. And one, Jesus described the rich man, and he is tormented in the flames. And he looks over and he sees Abraham. And he sees Lazarus, and he says to Abraham, Father Abraham, when you send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and touch my tongue because I'm tormented in these flames. That's what Jesus said. So I just can't accept that. Listen, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around it. You think that's hard to wrap your mind around? The Bible says that the great white throne judgment, death and hell gave up the dead that were in them, and they were all judged, and then they were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. It's worse than hell. That's what the Bible declares. I have a hard time wrapping my mind and my soul around it to believe that People I love, people in my family that don't receive Christ as Lord and Savior, when they die and they will go to hell, and then one day they'll stand before the great white throne and be cast in into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Try to wrap your mind around that. I can't totally do it, but that's what the Bible says, and that's what I'm warning people. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to go to hell, and you don't have to experience the lake of fire. Please don't go there. Please don't. That's why Jesus died. That's why he was buried. That's why he rose again. And if you'll receive him as Lord and Savior, you won't have to be damned. You can be saved. That's the truth. Okay, Lord, I will. Here's the charge. Preach the word. Here's the challenge. 
If you're going to preach the word and stand for truth and live for truth, well, in a lot of circles, you'd be considered a fool. You know, that's what God said to Hosea. Because of the backslidden nature of Israel and their hostility to the truth, he said the prophet is considered a fool. And then he goes on in the next verse of, of chapter 9, verse 8, and it says that snares and trouble await him, the true prophet, in the house of his God. Sometimes in the church, you stand for truth, you're going to pay a price. Sometimes if you stand for truth and you proclaim truth, people won't listen. But I'm not responsible for whether they listen or not. I'm responsible for proclaiming it. You know, God told Moses before he went to be the agent in God's hand to deliver the children of Israel, God told him, uh, you go and you speak, but they're not going to listen to you. That's encouraging, huh? Ezekiel. Let me tell you what he told Ezekiel. Ezekiel, they're talking about you. Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 30. Uh, verse, chapter 33, verse 30. As for you, son of man, your countrymen are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, saying, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to listen to your words, but they don't put them into practice. Indeed to them... You're nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but they don't put them into practice. Despite that, I charge you, whether they listen or not, you stand for truth. The Bible says John the Baptist, when he preached to Herod, Herod liked to listen to him, but Herod didn't do anything about it. But that's not my responsibility. It's not your responsibility. I just finished Jim Simula's book, his latest book, called Spirit rising. Just finished it last week. Great book. Let me read you one little section. Because if you think I'm any different than you, you're wrong. Same with Jim Simula. A film crew and I were at the Brooklyn Heights Promenade, a pedestrian walkway that overlooks the East River in downtown Brooklyn, to tape the companion DVD for this book. But we had time to kill as we waited for it to get dark and for the lights from the southern tip of Manhattan to become visible. While the film crew arranged the lights and got the cameras in position, I noticed that a small group of people had stopped to watch. They probably thought we were shooting a commercial or wondered if I was someone famous. They, stopped, uh, they stood watching, waiting, some licking ice cream cones while we prepared to film the next segment. Downtown Brooklyn has become a very trendy spot, and as often the case with trendy places, it isn't exactly the Bible Belt. Some might even call it godless due to the hostility of many neighborhoods toward Christian churches and their message. As I waited for my cue, I knew that my next sentences were going to address how life doesn't work unless we know Jesus Christ as Savior and the Holy Spirit empowers us. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, and I strongly sensed that these spectators wouldn't be thrilled with what I was going to say. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm any different from anyone else. I have the same desire to be liked, to fit in with everyone else. I'm not immune to the temptation of fear at that moment as I thought about what I would say and how much the crowd wouldn't want to hear it, a silent but strong pressure came over me. Because I didn't want to be sneered at, cowardice was tempting me, but I fought it. I asked the Lord for help. God, don't let me hold back in speaking for you because of possible hostility from these people. The camera lights came on, the director counted down, three, two, one, and he gave me the cue. I started talking. My lines took just two minutes, but the reaction of the crowd took even less. As soon as I mentioned Jesus, some of the people dropped their heads and walked away. When I mentioned salvation, others brazenly stared at me as if to say, are you out of your mind? 
By the time I finished talking, not one person from the crowd was left. But I got the words out. I spoke boldly about Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We're so glad that you took the time today to learn more from the book of 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul wrote some very wise words and advice to Timothy, encouraging him to keep pressing on to a greater goal than the things even in this world. This is a timely word for you today. Don't get stuck in a rut of worries or allow the world to squash your hopes down in despair. Keep pushing forward towards a goal and a prize that Jesus wants to gift to you. If you enjoyed hearing from Pastor Danny today and would like to listen to other teachings, feel free to visit our teaching archive at ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab. If you don't yet have a church to call home, we would love to have you join us. Calvary Chapel Fellowship meets on Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Feel free to come just as you are. If you're unable to be with us in person, you're always welcome to join us in our live stream services. Find the link to that as well as our YouTube channel on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's it for today, but thanks for tuning in with Pastor Danny to learn more from the book of 2 Timothy as we dive into The Living Word.